listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Hear the word of the Lord written in the book of Genesis, verses 1 through 5 and 26 to 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let man, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. I, uh, I think we need God to say, let there be light over on those stairs over on the side. <laughs> uh, there's something about uh, this time of year, this holiday season, that evokes in us a longing for home, and it shows up often in songs that are popular, uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas, or one that uh, I heard growing up, a little bit of an older song from uh, Perry Como. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays, cause no matter how far away you roam, when you pine for the sunshine of a smiling gaze, for the holidays you can't beat home, sweet home. So, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here afterwards all week, so tip your waitress, try the veal. Um, thank you. That, that was really about, uh, as much for me, maybe for some of you, if you're familiar with the song, that, that sense of nostalgia, right? That whatever that song is for you that brings up that longing, not even just for a particular place, but particular people too, and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. One of my strongest holiday memories is traveling to my grandparents' house as a kid. And in Oklahoma, they lived in a cozy little ranch home, and it had this kind of unique uh, gas heater system under like a a big grate in the middle of the living room, and and you'd walk over to it, and and you'd just get hit with this blast of warm air. And, And of course, grandparents were there to hug you and say we love you and their presents under the tree and cookies in the cookie jar and uh, my brother and I, my brothers and I had this job of uh, cooking the popcorn and and whatever we didn't eat we were supposed to string uh, to help decorate the tree 
I'm so glad that I spent time with my grandparents like that because they're no longer alive. Uh, The house has been sold since then and fallen into disrepair. And there's a pang there. Many of you can probably relate to that, this sense of longing for something. Uh, Because even in our best memories, even in our best experiences of Christmas or Thanksgiving that we just had, we, we realize that the food, the treats, the toys, even the people that we spend time with don't really ultimately satisfy us. It leaves us longing for more. And Christmas especially, I think, raises all these expectations for meaning and satisfaction and and happiness and fulfillment that it doesn't really satisfy completely. Even in our best experiences of Christmas, we recognize that we long for something bigger. This longing for home, longing for connection, for relationship, for satisfaction, for joy, that the Bible tells us we were created for, that God himself has put in us. And I think like last year, again this year, many of us are probably feeling weary, discouraged, disconnected, not knowing what to expect, high expectations, but we don't want to get our hopes up too high because we just don't even know. We, we long for peace and calm and satisfaction and hope and meaning. We long for home because home is about the place that, that we were designed for, the place that we belong, the place where we're known and we have a purpose. That's what God created us for. That's what is at the center, in fact, of the Bible's story that we discover here in these opening chapters of Genesis. A picture of home, a place of love and joy and fulfillment and flourishing and humans and all of creation just (laughs) fulfilling their intended purposes under, under the wise and the good direction of a loving God. But you can't open a story in the middle and make sense of what's going on, right? You don't know who the characters are. You don't know the storyline. There's going to be references to things that you can't make sense of. And so we don't want to start the Christmas story by going to Bethlehem with the baby in a manger because we don't have the context for who he is and why he's here and and why his entry into this world is so amazing and, and what he's come to accomplish. So this Advent, we want to prepare ourselves for Christmas by looking at the whole story. And today we're starting at the beginning in Genesis 1, looking at our first home. So if you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1. You can probably find it. Uh, I think it's on page 1 of your Bibles. And here's the main thing that I think we see in this passage that, that I want us to get. The key idea is this, that we long for home because we long for God. We long for home because we long for God. Now, in most creation stories, uh, the world begins with power, right? The God or the gods create, and when you create something, you have authority, you have ownership over it. When I was a kid, I would sometimes ask my parents, why do I have to rake the leaves? Why do I have to clean my room? And the answer would often be, because we're the parents, because we said so. 
And some of you maybe even heard something along the lines of, you know, when you stepped out of line, I brought you into this world and I could take you out of it. That's a relationship of power, right? And, and by the way, it's the same in a materialistic worldview. If, if there's no God, if there's no creator, then it's just nature red in tooth and claw and it's survival of the fittest which is probably why many of us are so weary of all the power grabs and the culture wars and the jockeying for position and power. It's about getting power, holding on to power, and using power to get what we want. And we're just tired of living in that kind of a world. Only Christianity says at the beginning there was relationship. Here in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now that's interesting. There's God, but then there's also the Spirit of God. There's a distinction between God and His Spirit. And then in verse 3, God says, let there be light, and there's light. And that pattern gets repeated through each day of creation. God says it, and it happens. Now, in his gospel, later in the Bible story, John picks up this exact language of creation, and he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through him all things were made. So when we hear this language back in Genesis 1 of God speaking and bringing things into existence, we're supposed to connect that idea of the Word of God who is God and is with God. Christianity says in the beginning there was God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, three persons in one God existing eternally in a relationship of love and delight and mutual giving and blessing. I mean, we, we see that kind of hinted at here in verse 26. God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Who is us that's referred to here? Before there was anything, there was God. And God is a circle of relationship. And then God creates people made in His image to bring them into that relationship. That is life. To know God and to love God and to live in His love. The whole universe, everything that exists is an outflow of this relationship of love and blessing. That's what home points us to. Home points us to relationship. We are made with a deep longing for connection and community. Look in verse 27. Male and female are made in the image of God. So the, the point there is that God creates and commissions human beings together to reflect His image. Male and female are partners together. No matter how difficult and frustrating relationships can be at times, we know that we can't do it alone. We're made for one another. We, we want to be known. We want to be loved, accepted, cared for. We long for a home that's about relationship. Christmas reminds us of that. We want to have people to share meaningful moments with. We, we long for connection. 
I mean, not, not even Tom Hanks could survive on a desert island by himself. It, it wasn't until he takes a Wilson volleyball and names it and makes it his friend that it finally becomes his home. So kids, you know, if you're paying attention, if you're writing notes or drawing pictures, draw me a picture of someone that you love. And, and then show it to me afterwards, okay? As a reminder that we're made for relationship. Because, you know, the, the holidays can be the most wonderful time of the year for some, but for many of us, the holidays can be difficult and painful. We, we've got broken relationships, distant relationships, difficult relationships. Many of us have at least one cousin that's hard to love or, uh, or, or an outlaw or an in-law, as some people call them. Uh, some people experience loneliness because they don't really have a lot of people around them. All of us pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze because that's what God created this first home to reflect, a relationship with Him. We're made to know the, the love of a heavenly Father. That's the longing of Christmas because it's in relationship with God that we can be fully known and fully accepted, where it's safe to be ourselves. And then we become part of a community that reflects that love. You know, to disciples who left their homes and families to follow Jesus and travel around with them, he says, no one who has left home or land or father or mother or brother or sister will fail to receive a hundred times as many lands and homes and father and mother and brother and sister in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Even if your earthly family is a train wreck, if you are connected to Jesus, you're a part of his family and you have a community, a community of faith that, that itself is not perfect, that itself can be riddled with all kinds of problems, but we're at least united to one another by faith in Jesus, because we have known the Father's love. What if church was more of a community like that where, where we didn't really identify people by their marital status or segregate by single or married or divorced or widowed or whatever, but we were all brothers and sisters for one another? That if, that if single parents didn't raise their kids alone because those kids had grandparents and aunts and uncles that were there to help raise them too. You know, th those of you who are worshiping with us online, I am so glad that you found us and, and we're thankful for the internet as a way to connect with you. But it's a little like standing on the front porch and watching the family gathering through the window. And oh, we want you to come inside. We, we want you to be here around the table because this is where you belong, and, and that's what you need. That's what we're created for. So that then the, the more that we're connected to God's love and em, empowered and encouraged by one another, we reflect that love to each other. So that rather than seeing that uh, you know, awkward aunt so-and-so as a pain in the neck, she becomes an object of love and consideration around the holidays. Instead of dreading to have to talk to that cousin because of, you know, those crazy things that he posts online, we start thinking about how we can love him well and, and point him towards life and joy that the Father offers. You, you were made to find family in relationship with God. 
And then that helps, helps us deal with the inevitable disappointment that relationships here in this life will bring because we all hurt and we all get hurt in trying to love one another well. It's only the love of the Father that never disappoints. Only God can say, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never do you wrong. You were made for that home that's about relationship with God. That home also points us to God's provision, to God's provision. Look, look back again at the first few words here. In the beginning, which is more than just a way of introducing the story, right? Because if you think about it, God has no beginning. It's not about God's beginning. It's about our beginning. It's about telling us where we came from and why we're here. He's saying in this moment, human history began. The Bible doesn't start with human history and and try and interpret it from our perspective. It's putting us in the context of the purposes of God and His provision and direction for us. The Bible says that the universe exists because God has written a cosmic story and you're meant to find your place in it. The, The reason that we long for home is because we're part of that story. And, and there's a structure and an order to it. Look in verses 3 to 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and morning the first day. God says, let something happen, and it happens. There's a God who's in charge of our lives and in charge of this world who accomplishes what he intends. There's structure and intention to this world. The rest of Genesis 1 follows this pattern of God creating and ordering heaven and and earth and seas and dry land and plants and animals. And uh, everything that happens is not chaotic. It's not random. It's not chance. It's directed by the will of the Creator. It fits into a pattern. We get the structure, the the rhythm of our week and our days from this ordering. In fact, everything that we need comes from the hand of God. In the latter part of the chapter, God says in verse 29, I've given you every plant yielding seed on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you'll have them for food, and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens I give food. I mean, that's that's kind of amazing, right? God provides not just for you and for your needs, but for every living thing. He cares about ants. He cares about atoms. He cares about elephants. He cares about stars and their courses. And that everything has what it needs. He cares about you. And he provides good for you. Did you catch that in verse 4? God saw the light and said, It was good. And that repeats every day throughout verse 31 until humans show up on the scene and God says, behold, pay attention. This is very good. Everything fit together in the right way. Everything doing what it was supposed to, related in harmony by God. Kids, could I have you draw a picture of something good that you're thankful for, something that you have 
that is good. And, and then I want to see that afterwards, okay? God's provision points us to a good world filled with joy and blessing and creativity and, and love. And you are made in the image of that God with gifts and abilities and experiences and ways to bless others that are part of your purpose. We were blessed a week or so ago to go to a Vickery Chamber Quartet concert. Uh, it was music of thanksgiving. Uh, it was just a beautiful expression of giftedness uh, put together with effort and intentionality to make something beautiful for people to enjoy as a reflection of God's goodness. I mean, the music was beautiful. The songs themselves were designed to point us towards the goodness of a God who made everything. And then afterwards, uh, the Vickery's had a, a table with a bunch of kid-sized violins and in, invited the kids to come up and try out the musical instruments and, and try making music for themselves. It, it, it's a wonderful picture of the way that God gifts us to bless others, to encourage them, and to help them find the way that God has uniquely gifted them to be a part of God's provision in this world. That tells us we, we need an attitude of stewardship, of being managers, not owners, of everything that we have, not just money, not just homes, but our gifts, even our lives. We're not owners of this earth. We're not owners of ourselves. It's God creation, not ours. The story of our first home in Genesis reminds us that there's a God who knows what we need and, and He gives us good and He gives us enough and He is enough. And man, that's really important for us to remember in this season where we're all tempted, bombarded really daily with appeals to say you need more. You need more. You need this. You need that. Can you believe those people have that and you don't? And encouraging dissatisfaction and, and greed and envy. And this story reminds us, helps us to fight back against that with the recognition that God is good. And that especially in this season, it, it gives us an attitude of gratitude and worship for God's good gifts. Which leads us to the, the third point. You know, it's good to know that we're loved and that there's a story and that God has given us good things, but we want to know, what is my part in that? Does my life have a purpose? Back in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Literally in the Hebrew, it's communicating this idea that the creation at that point was an uninhabitable wilderness, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, because that's not in reference to God. How could it be uninhabitable for God? I mean, he doesn't even need a creation to live in. It's, it's talking about us. We're the ones in mind here. We're the ones who need a place to live. We're the ones who are going to live in the land. And, and God creates the world with human partners in mind. God is saying you have a role to play. You belong here. 
It's not just that there's some big story out there that God is accomplishing, but that you were put here for a purpose and you have a role. Home points us to meaning. That longing for home points us to an ultimate meaning for our lives. We are made in God's image with a role and a calling. That's reflected again back, uh, look in verse 28. God blessed the man and the woman and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you see God's purposes for us here? Be fruitful and multiply. Yes, that means physically. It means have children and and reproduce. But even more, God's intent is that we, we would fill the earth with the knowledge of him, with the reflection of what he is like, because we're made in his image. We're made in his image to reflect his goodness and his blessing and his gifts. We're made so that we would live in a way that the world around us reflects the beauty and the goodness and the creativity and the joy of the Father, the flourishing that He has built into this world. Bible commentators tell us that in this context, the word subdue here really means to make the earth useful for others' benefit and pleasure. A place for people to flourish, a home that would reflect what God is like in everything that we do. That gives us a why to our lives, a why to our daily work. Because you see, work isn't just about getting a paycheck, work isn't just about uh, earning bread to put on our tables, work is about fulfilling these purposes that God has given us. God's desire is that our lives would be about bringing order and joy and blessing into everything that we do, that that we would be a part of his flourishing for the people that we encounter, the systems that we operate in, for our families, our churches, our communities, our, our workplaces. Shalom, flourishing, is built into the design of creation and and what we're here for. And expanding that is Adam and Eve's job description. Go out into this world and make it look beautiful. Make it life-giving. Make it reflect the order and the goodness that I have built into the creation, that, that I structured around everything that exists. And then he equips us to go out and reflect that. So, uh, kids, if you are writing things or drawing things, can you draw a picture of a way that you help? A way that you help someone. Draw a picture, and and I want to see those afterwards if you do that. I'd love to see ways that you help someone. Because we all want to know that we make a difference with our lives. To know that we helped others, to to see people that we've invested in succeed and flourish and impact other people themselves, to have people be able to say, we're better off for having known you. You've been a blessing in our lives. We, We long to hear that. You know, my wife Amelia is an office administrator and treasurer in a local elementary school. 
she has really amazing gifts in uh, organizing and structuring and making things better. And uh, she kind of lives out this great saying I saw in uh, Andrea Preston's office when she was working as the Faith Kids Administrator. Uh, Office administrators bring order out of chaos. That is a wonderful gift to have, isn't it? And, and that's a way that she brings flourishing into that workplace to, to reflect the goodness of God, to, to help make things easier, to solve problems, to take away roadblocks, to clean up the messes, to make things work more efficiently. And she sees this as her ministry. That's where God has me to use the gifts that I have to remove problems for other people. That's what our jobs are basically all about if you think about it. Whether you work in a cubicle and struggle at times to even connect what you're doing to something bigger, your job in some way is about solving problems, cleaning up messes, making things better, reflecting God's beauty, reflecting His goodness on behalf of other people. You know, Amelia had an opportunity when she took this job for another job that would have paid her more but it was, you know, a typical corporate job that had two weeks of vacation, and she thought she'd rather take the lower-paying job in the school with more weeks off during the year because family is a priority for her. And being able to have time to invest in mission trips and, and use her gifts in sewing and baking to make things to bless other people, that is a high value for her. To say, you know, I'd rather know that I can have the week off of Thanksgiving and a couple of weeks around Christmas because I I want to be able to clean our home and bake things and, and make it warm and inviting to welcome people in. That's part of her work too. What are you investing yourself in? Who are you investing yourself in? And and how is God making a difference through your life? You know, it might be in obvious ways of things that we call ministry like Wheeler Mission or Shepherd or Good News Ministry or uh, serving women in crisis pregnancies at Life Center and advocating on behalf of unborn children. It might be uh, helping advocate for justice for our neighbors across the street, especially at Lakeside Point who have just suffered under horrible negligence and mismanagement and fraud. We're going to be gathering with some of them right after worship, about 1215, to, to walk over there and just pray and, and maybe even just have our hearts moved for wanting our neighbors to experience more of the flourishing and the goodness of God in their lives. It, it, it might be serving in the nursery. It, it might be teaching Sunday school to kids who aren't yours in order to help them grow in knowing and following Jesus. It might be doing your work in a way that's training somebody to be better at their job, to to work with intention and clarity and respect. It it might be modeling in this insane time of year how to have a healthy work-life balance or simply how not to be sucked into the consumerist messages we get all the time. Because it might just be about changing the focus of this season of the year to make it about these purposes, to reflect God's grace and goodness to bless others, to to use the gifts that he's given you to bring his flourishing, his order, his goodness to the world around you because the longing of the season points us 
to the God who made us to know him. That's what longing for home is about. You know, uh, not long after this intro to the story, of course, something tragic happens. Our first parents decide we don't want to listen to God. We don't want to do it his way. We think we can decide better on our own. And so our first parents sort of declare their independence and they're required to leave this first beautiful, perfect, glorious home that was designed for them. And ever since, we have all been born into this world, alienated from God, separated from the one place, the one person, the one purpose that we were created to know. And the problem is on our own, we, we cannot get back there. And though we are different in so many ways, at our core, we are all alike in this. What we long for, we cannot get ourselves, and we cannot find in this world. We long to find our way home. And that's why this season celebrates the advent, the arrival of Jesus, God's Son. According to the Bible, the coming of Jesus is the entry of the author, of God the Creator himself, into the storm. And he came for this reason, to do what we on our own could not do. He came to bring his people home. Because he wants you. He made you to find your home in him. So that in Jesus, God takes on our humanity. He becomes an exile in his own creation, on a mission in a far country to bring the exiles and the rebels and the aliens back home to him. Because we cannot find him, so he came to find us. He made his home among us to bring us home to him. Jesus is not just the creator, he is the story. He is what it's all about. He's the goal that we were made for. He is our home. Such a powerful word, home. All these images of being known, being loved, being blessed, being a blessing to others. Where you're known, where everything around you suits your needs and satisfies you. This Advent season, let those longings, those desires point you to the God who created you. Point you to their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing story that you tell us. This amazing true story of who you are and who we are and what you have made us for and how you are the answer to all of those longings that you have placed in us for relationship, for provision, for purpose and meaning. Oh God, we need you. And especially if there's anyone here today hearing my voice who has not come to really know and trust and follow you, I pray that today would be the day I want, they would say, I want to come home to you, God. I, I want you. Father, help us to follow you, to find our home that we were made for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.